Rexy's musical podcast. In 1985, there was literally a metric ton of unbelievably great music that was blasting through college radio stations around the country. You had The Cure, The Smiths, Susie and the Banshees, New Order, Husker Du. I could go on forever. But for me, 1985 was all about two incredible rock anthems that seemed to come out almost simultaneously. The first song was the massively successful single, She Sells Sanctuary by The Cult, which is still a flat-out classic and still one of my favorite songs from that year. The other song was the title track from the 1985 album by The Alarm. The song and the album were called Strength. And in the case of The Alarm, that was an understatement. And between these two songs, this innocent, closed-minded, suburbanite brain was completely unlocked. These weren't just songs to me. They were anthems, huge, powerful pieces of music that dominated my entire sophomore year in college and well beyond. The funny thing is, Strength wasn't even the alarm's best song. In fact, it wasn't even the highest charting single from the album. But for me, it was a classic, and I loved it. The Alarm were a band from Wales that would sign with Miles Copeland and his IRS record label. They would release five albums between 1984 and 1991, where they had a fistful of hits like 1983's 68 Guns or 1985's Spirit of 76, Rain in the Summertime from 1987, and 1989's Sold Me Down the River. All total, The Alarm had nine singles reached the UK Top 40 and 11 singles reaching the mainstream Top 40 here in the States. But the story behind The Alarm doesn't just stop at the music. The story behind The Alarm is an incredibly important and poignant one, especially as it relates to the health of the band's lead singer and songwriter, Mike Peters. In 1995, Mike Peters would be diagnosed with lymphatic cancer. He made a full recovery and would later play with Big Country, and Joe Strummer's Mescaleros, and it was even part of a supergroup called Dead Man Walking that included Glenn Matlock of the Sex Pistols and Captain Sensible from The Damned. He also reformed the alarm in 2005, but later that year, he was diagnosed with leukemia. During his recovery, Peters formed his own cancer foundation called Love, Hope, Strength. Last September, Mike Peters relapsed again with another round of cancer combined with a potentially deadly case of pneumonia. He survived it and is currently in remission. In fact, Mike was able to perform at his annual gathering shows in Wales in late January to more than 1,500 very enthusiastic fans. He's also slated to play at the Gramercy Theater in New York on June 23rd and 24th. On top of that, he and his wife, who's also a breast cancer survivor, have opened a wellness retreat for cancer survivors that's free of charge. And oh yeah, there's another Alarm album coming out in June. And it's awesome. This is an amazing story of a man who is the very definition of strength. It's taken on a completely different and more personal meaning than it did back in 1985. This is my interview with the incredible Mike Peters from The Alarm on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Very, very good. Good to see you. And you, you okay? Is, is, it, is this just audio or do you need to film? It's recording just audio, but you know, to have you on video is fine too. I mean, unless you're oh, good. No. desperate to shut it off. Right. <laughs> I'd go to a better place if you wanted to see me better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful that, you, that you're here and that you're doing well. You've had yourself a hell of a year. 
tell me what it uh, what you've been through over the last seven or eight months and 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 how you're feeling today i feel amazing considering where i've been the last few months were um a ride through uh, a very dark place very challenging place um i was uh you know unsure whether i was going to come out of this one with a alive as a base point but also when i started to feel i could make it through the hospital period i, I was worried i wouldn't be able to sing so to have an album like forwards uh, recorded now is it, i'm just so grateful to be alive and glad i could sing and i think a lot of that energy the release of that is you can feel that in the songs without without question i, I do okay. i do want to say and i'm not blowing the you know smoke up your uh, your bagpipes here but i've been on the uh, the alarm bandwagon forever since uh, 1984 <laughs> got uh, my declaration album and i got uh, strength here and i was just looking at this the other day, and I'm just like, Jesus, look at the hair on you guys back then. <laughs> yeah, it goes like this now, down <laughs> instead of up. This must have taken you guys hours to perfect. <laughs> Not really. You just have to lie upside down with a hairdryer and, uh, and, and some Aquanet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the great part about it is you know, back in, in 85, the, the song Strength was just a huge song for me. And you know, I just I couldn't get enough of it. And what's ironic about it now is that in hindsight, when you when you look at your entire career and what you've what you've been through uh, in your own personal life, the song "Strength" has a, a profoundness that you couldn't possibly have imagined at the age of twenty six. But when you sing that song now, it must have a totally different meaning to you. Tell me what the song "Strength" means to you now, as opposed to thirty eight years ago. Yeah, well, it, it means a, a lot more to me now because it's uh, the words "love, hope, and strength" appeared in that song, and 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 they're in about five or six of the songs on strength and in "Walk Forever by My Side" and "D Side." The words are there in 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 various songs on the album and and dawn chorus and uh, and and um, it's given its name to our charity, "Love, Hope, Strength," and we've been able to save a lot of lives through the charity and. And, and change lives and, and help build cancer centers around the world. But for me personally, um, when I first wrote the lines, who will be the lifeblood coursing through my veins, the opening line, I didn't know what it really meant. It was an instinctive lyric that just came out. And I thought I've got to, that was the first line when I started writing the song and I, I've got to keep that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I think some, my mum always said to me that um, when I was diagnosed with, with leukemia, my mum, thought it was always in me from when I was a child and I would come off school to have swollen glands and things like that. And uh, I'm a, so I don't know, where, where, probably it's always been a part of my subconscious all through my life and, and, and is there in the songwriting without me really knowing it at, at, in the beginning. So where, when I heard the word cancer applied to my life for the very first time, it was in 1995 and, uh, uh, sorry, and I, I, I was... Um, in hospital having a blood test and the doctor called me in and he handed a leaflet across the desk and said let's talk about cancer and it was the first time I'd seen that word applied to myself and I was actually on the way to a gig you know and my brother was waiting outside in the car and and uh, the doctor said you know come come back tomorrow and let's talk about cancer when you've had a chance to digest it and the brother was in shock and my wife Jules and it was like let's go home and I was like I can't just go home and sit there do nothing until I see the doctor <laughs> Let's go and do the gig. And and when I went on stage, I actually played strength that night and the lyrics hit me like a train. 
And I thought, this is why I've written this song. This is, this is, I'm singing, give me love, hope and strength. Cause I really did need it, but not, not maybe then, but in the future, I was going to come to rely on it big time. It's, in, it's incredible to look back at the, at the lyrics now and, and, and how they resonate. I mean, not just, I mean, obviously in your life, but I mean, everybody, you know, is touched you know, by cancer in some, in some form or, or another. And, and, and what you've been able to do with that diagnosis on a, on a, on a different level, love, hope, and, and, uh, and strength foundation is, is remarkable. How you've been able to advocate for the care of people and, and their well-being amidst the treatment. Tell me about that foundation and, and how it started and where it is today. Yeah, well, it started in hospital while I was having chemotherapy and I could look out the window and see the highest mountain in Wales, Mount Snowdon in the distance. And, and I thought, imagine if I could get to the top of that again, I know I'm doing well. So I thought that's my goal. I'm going to take as many alarm fans as I can. We'll climb the mountain and we'll give the funds we raised to the nurses who were, lo- were looking after me. I-, I thought there was, you know, some amazing foundations out there that do great work for research and, and, and that kind of thing. But there were, at the time, I didn't think there was too many on the ground charities helping nurses and, and finding books for st- children to educate themselves with while they were on the cancer wards just simple things pillows for people while they were sat in their chairs and and to try and help them stay comfy little 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 comforts that can are big when it comes to helping you through that journey of, of having chemotherapy and and so when we went to uh, Mount Snowden it was very successful and I met a guy from Texas James Chippendale and and he said, this is a great idea, Mike. Why, why stop at Snowden? Let's go to Mount Everest. <laughs> and, and we did. And, and we, we went there and we, we carried the same principle through. We thought, okay, if we're climbing Mount Everest, we'll raise money for the, the country of Nepal. We'll help their cancer struggle rather than ship it back to America and the UK. So all, all the funds we raised on our Everest rocks stayed and helped build a cancer centre in back to poor in Kathmandu. And that's what we've done in Africa, in and Peru and, and in the United States and in the UK, whenever we've trekked in places, we, we leave the money behind. I saw the video of the Mount Everest, you know, effort. Everest rocks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, everybody came out to support you in that. And, and like I said, everybody's been touched by cancer, but I mean, it just to watch it had to be an incredible experience to have all that help and all that support from people you knew. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, right, just 20 minutes ago before this interview, uh, I've got Slim Jim Phantom from the Stray Cats staying with us. And I was with him 20 minutes ago, and we were talking about Everest and, you know, answering that call. And, and one of the amazing things, we had Slim Jim, we had Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze. Yeah. And everyone was struggling with communication. We all had, like, satellite phones. And, and Slim Jim, he was like the Fonz on the mountain, you know, he just turned up in silver mountain boots, he walked his dog in the Hollywood Hills, he could smoke, he could get a signal on his phone whenever he wanted, you know, it was incredible. <laughs> and he made it all the way to the top, you know, and we did, we did a concert in 2007, we did the then, the highest gig in the world, and you know, it was an amazing adventure, um, and we would put our cancer diagnosis and you know even then on you know glenn tilbrook he his reasoning for doing it was that he'd lost a girlfriend when he was young to leukemia something that nobody knew about and it had always affected him and he wanted to sort of do something to help put back into to help that battle against cancer and and so he you know he was armed with his own fight to 
carry him up the mountain and that's what it did it brought the best out in everybody who was there one of the the things that i really appreciate that that uh, your foundation has done is the get on the list campaign for uh, for marrow donations you know i had an uncle that i was very close to who also died of leukemia he had 17 years of uh, of remission that he was able to enjoy until it finally you know came back and, and took him but marrow donation is one of the things that that helped him along and that was a long time ago the technology and advances in in marrow donation have you know are remarkable and the fact that you've been able to get 1500 positive matches probably more since then that is unbelievable yeah we we we're over four and a half thousand matches now and it, oh we, it's, we say we, we say potentially because we ne- we don't know the outcome of everyone because some people want it to be anonymous and uh, and we don't get to know what's happened but you know that's how many people have stepped forward from from a list of over two and a half uh, you know, a quarter of a million people are on the, the registry because of Love, Hope, Strength, and all the bands that have allowed us to have booths in their gigs. You know, the <laughs> pandemic came and and stopped it for a while, but we're just um, we're just starting to engage the platform because uh, obviously it involves a saliva donation to get on the list, so that wasn't cool for a little while while the <laughs> pandemic was going on. But, but we're, we're we're back out there now, and uh, we're we're just re-engaging the campaign. Uh, and we, we, we're hoping to get more people to step forward and save lives. And people can sign up. They can visit our website, lovehopestrength.org or .co.uk. And uh, and they can register to, to the list uh, digitally there. Through, through We'll send them a kit in the post. They can sign up and hopefully save a life. I also uh, read about uh, you converting this uh, chapel in your hometown in Wales as a, as a retreat for people who are ongoing uh, treatment. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's it, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, it's not a permanent retreat, but we some weekends we allow, you know, we're, we're bringing cancer people and their families to kind of get away from the hospital and the, the hard regime of having to take cancer treatments and chemotherapies or radiation therapies and uh, and just to get, let them to step out of it for a little bit. The, the chapel is right opposite the waterfalls, 70-foot waterfall where we live. You can see it from the windows. It's very calming. It's been, a, been a, the chapel was the Alarms recording studio for many many years uh, from 2003 and then in the lockdown we converted it into some apartments and we thought we can still put them to good use and affect people's lives and uh, and my recording studio got turned into a yoga studio so i got kicked <laughs> out and now we've got another place down the road so which is really good and uh, so it's everyone wins i think in the yeah. end one of the things that uh, that I have read is, uh, I mean, it's not only you that has been you know dealing with cancer. Your wife has had a bad, battle of uh, of yes, breast yes. cancer on her own. How is she doing? Oh, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's you know she's a few years cancer free now. Um, but the scars are always there. You know, especially for women going through breast cancer who have to have surgery, it can be quite disfiguring, and and you know that can be just as hard to come to terms with as the cancer itself. Uh, Jules is lucky, you know, she survived. We've lost lots of friends and loved ones around us, you know, fans, supporters of Love Hoop Strength who've followed Jules's lead but haven't been so lucky and we've lost them along the way. But, you know, I, I like to think with Love Hope Strength, with the fortitude people get from Love Hope Strength, sometimes that positivity can give them one more day, one more kiss with their loved one. And that that's that's that could be the world to some people, you know, and that's you know, that's why that's something I never take for granted. You know, every breath you take, as Sting once said, you know, <laughs> it, it's as important it's, it's it's vital, you know, and we should be grateful for every chance we have to breathe the air and see the morning and wait, watch the sun come up. 
this last round that you went through in uh, September and October, I mean, you, you not only had you know the cancer had come back, but you were also suffering from pneumonia. To be able to go through that and then in January perform at the gathering, I mean, that just that just had to. I mean, I saw the videos of it, and it's 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 incredible. It's so inspiring to watch you perform with that much enthusiasm after what you had been through. Tell me what that what that felt like to get back on stage considering the year that you and your wife had just had. Uh, it, uh, it was everything because uh, it was what I dreamt of in hospital. It's what I kept focused on it because it was there. It was, yeah, it's it's an auspicious event because it, it's there every January. And it was a, it absolutely, um, it was a joyous occasion. You're coming to the States in uh, in june after the album is released I'll, I'll, we'll talk about the album here in a second but you're coming to the gramercy theater in new york city how long has it been since you've been in the u.s i would imagine uh the lockdown and the pandemic certainly have interrupted certainly disrupted a lot of that for you yeah i think uh, i managed to get out there in 2022 in january and i was able to play at the an acoustic set at the gramercy washington uh, LA that the, the, they, they were acoustic gathering events that have been delayed so I was able to do them and then get back to Britain to do the 40th anniversary tour and it was during that time that, that I started to get the complications that led to pneumonia and the, the leukemia relapse I think it was probably because of the pandemic and all my treatment and, and medication and and doctor visits had been over the phone there was no I didn't see anybody so the stats don't tell you everything about cancer. You've got to see the person. And then when, when I did get seen by the doctors, I, it, it didn't add up. So it was uh, I was in a bad way, to be honest. But, yeah, it was great to play acoustic. So I can't wait to get back to to America in June and then hopefully add some more dates as things uh, develop over the year. I do want to ask you a couple of questions about the, uh, the new album. I, I've heard a couple of tracks off of it already. The title track, Forwards, comes out on June 2nd. But it's... An amazing song and another inspirational effort from you. Tell me about the the new album and, and, and what it means to you. Well, I wrote it in hospital, most of it. And it was, you know, the doctors and nurses got to hear the songs before they were even realized. And and uh, they, they keep coming back in. I thought these these must be good songs because the nurses keep coming back to hear a bit more. <laughs> and and that, that kept, you know, that I, I wasn't I only brought the guitar into hospital hospital keep me company really and, and then next minute songs started to be born but I couldn't sing them properly I, I could whisper them I'd, I'd lost my voice and uh, mm. I wasn't quite sure I'd be able to make the record completely when when I got out of hospital I said to George Williams the producer we you might have to consider this like a posthumous record you know because I, I was able to record one take of vocals in the demo studio to when I was outlining the songs, but then then my voice went completely, and I wasn't sure it was ever going to come back because I was still getting used to this chemotherapy drug that I take every day. And luckily, uh, as the days went by, but when we started recording the drums and the, the backing tracks, I was communicating via a whisper. And so, <laughs> to, when 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 I got to sing it and my voice came back, it was like, oh my goodness! It's, yeah. It means that means a lot to me to have climbed back to get this record. You haven't skipped a beat as far as uh, the, the final product of it. It's such a great, great song. But I also saw the video for the song Next, which you filmed walking around the hospital that you were you were staying in. That's a great video. And again, another profound message in that song. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, I think I was, uh, it says, are you ready for what's next? But I was really singing it to myself, I think, <laughs> more than anything. 
and, uh, and and it was just like I wanted to capture something that that um, that sort of grabbed hold of the spirit of what it's like to be released from the from the bonds of being in hospital and the bonds of the disease that's got hold of you and and actually go home to the family and 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 walk the real street. So I you know I, I often see people when they're released from hospital, no matter how incapacitated they are or how wheelchair bound, there's some spring in their step when they leave. <laughs> and I wanted the song and the and the video to capture that moment. So uh, I just filmed it walking down that corridor of when you know it was at night. I had to sneak in there and do it. <laughs> But, you know, as a fan, the thing I, I appreciate it, and it's so much like your all of your music, is that those songs really do mean something. And there's always a, a, a message behind your songs from as far back as the early 80s. You can very much tell that, you know, there's a lot of thought into, you know, lyrically what these songs mean. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love Strength so much. Even today, these new songs follow that same, I don't want to call it a formula, but it's, it follows that same path. There's a yeah. there's a significant meaning behind what you're singing about. It's not just a great melodic song. It's more than that. Yeah, well, that music's everything to me, and I, I hope that comes out in the music. You know, I don't think I, I don't think I'd write the music if significant things didn't happen in life in in a, in a weird way. You know, I, I'm sort of um one of those guys that makes a lot. You know, I don't sit still. Um, I try and make a lot of things happen. And, and if there's obstacles in the way, as, as it's, I sing about on the new album, there's uncle, there's always another way. And I, I've always looked for that. You know, when the doors were closing in on the alarm or, you know, the band were having problems, I tried to find the way around them. I'm, I'm a, I like to think I'm a solutions guy rather than a, a problem guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always looking for the, for the, something that can bring things together. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, ironically, you know, the alarm of, We've been making records now for 40 years and in the name of the alarm and, you know, lots of different mechanics involved in getting those records out there. And one of them is I've never been on a major record label in my life. You know, our records been distributed by major institutions, but the, the, the labels, it's always been independent. And since probably 1992, I've always uh, made my own records and I've never been had to go you know, cap in hand to an A&R man with a load of demos and asking, can I make a record, you know? <laughs> and I, I think, so I, I, a lot of the frustration that a lot of artists in that major um, league, major record label, conglomerate type of atmosphere, is frustrating. Well, I, I haven't had that frustration. So I can go and make big, big records, small records. I can make side projects. I can communicate them for what they are and, and I can diversify and live the life I want to lead. And, and and that stood me in good stead. I've learned how to survive and and long may it continue. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a very enviable position to be in. I mean, it's certainly not that way for a lot of your contemporaries who are kind of controlled by, you know, a corporate entity. That's not been the case for you guys. That, absolutely. You know, we, we had our struggles in the 80s with, with, the, with the, the, the alarm and record labels and people looking for successful records you know they're trying to bend you to make a record that sounds good on the radio and all that kind of stuff and and that, that, that's you know that's a great challenge to have you know but but it's not everything and and, and so sometimes maybe in the 80s we got caught up in trying to make the records work for the radio instead of work for ourselves and our audience and um you know we, when when we made soul me down the river in 1989 as big a record as that was it sort of distances itself, the band from its alternative roots, really, made us sound a lot more mainstream. Whereas I think we, we you know, we, we were much more independent and groundbreaking 
than that record sounded, you know. And so I, I think I've been able to reclaim a lot of that sort of identity for the alarm over the over the years that have passed. You uh you mentioned Slim Jim Phantom a, a little while ago, and I know you were in something called uh, Dead Men Walking. With Glenn Matlock was in that Captain Sensible, and uh, what happened to that? Because it sounded like it, like it was either going to be a hell of a lot of trouble or something really great or somewhere in between. To be honest, it's still it, we we um we there was lots of people in the Dead Men Walking. It was uh like you say, Glenn Matlock, Mick Jones from the Clash came along for a few shows. Uh, we had um, Billy Duffy from the Cult. We had. Uh, like you say, Captain Sensible. We even had Top Head. I, mean, I think we almost had every member of the Clash on stage, apart from Joe Strummer, you know, at, at one point or other, and and lots of other people too. Uh, and um, it it was it was amazing. That, that, but the the there's real connection between myself, Slim Jim, our own original material. And we we created a a breakaway outfit called the Jack Tars, which we've been pursuing a when we can. But the pandemic. We did one song called Rock and Roll Kills for our Big Night In TV show, and uh, that, that, which was fantastic. And uh, and that was with a guy called Chris Cheney from an Australian band called The Living End. Mm. You know, on paper, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's, it, it was brilliant, and it will ride again. The Jack Tars, the Jack Tars will sail again. Oh, good. I also wanted to ask you about something that, the, that I was reading about, your time, your brief period of time in big country. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Stuart Adamson died in, in 2001, and I think you were with them uh, about like eight or nine years later. Tell me about the importance of uh, of Big Country for the Alarm, because I know it, there's a significant connection between those two bands. Yeah, well, it, we first played together in 1983. Uh, Stuart and I, I met Stuart Adamson on stage with you two at the Hammersmith Palais. We, it was the last night of the war tour in Britain. Yeah, so Bono invites Stuart and I on stage, and I, I came on from the stage right, but uh, Stuart Adamson was watching the gig, so he had to be handed over the audience, and uh, I, I helped him over the barrier, and that's the first time I touched his hand was when I met him. <laughs> and we became really good friends, and we played some dates together in the 80s, and then 2000 and 2001, uh, the alarm was beginning again with myself and Eddie McDonald, and... Uh, you know, it wasn't the original lineup. We were in our, we were, you know, probably pushing our thirties and forties. And uh, and Stuart Anderson said, "Yeah, no, come on tour with Big Country. It'd be great." And we did, it. and so we, the last Big Country tour, we did it as the Alarm. Uh, I sang on the, Stuart's last ever gig. I sang on his really? last ever song, Big Country. We did "Rocking in the Free World," and it was amazing. And, wow. And Stuart was saying, I'm going to go and live in Nashville. You you should be the singer of Big Country, Mike. Take over, you know. <laughs> I said, Stuart, that's weird. I'm not going to do that. But but then in, in uh, 2011, uh, there was an anniversary for Big Country, and they asked me if I'd sing a couple of songs of them at this anniversary awards show. And I said, of course. And then I never heard anything. And then about three weeks later, Bruce Watson, the guitarist for me, said, uh, hey, Mike, yeah. Uh, I said, what's, what's going on? How come you did that gig not happen? He said, no, it didn't happen, but you were so enthusiastic that we've booked the whole tour. So we're going to start on New Year's <laughs> Eve in Scotland. And it's like, what? <laughs> so I, my debut concert singing for Big Country was in Glasgow on New Year's Eve, which is a very auspicious occasion. Yeah. Um, and it, even, it was weird because in the, in the re, when I was doing my research for the gig, I, I went and watched that last gig that we played together with, with Stuart. And so I was watching the gig and watching Stuart and just thinking how he approached his gig, you know, thinking of it as, right, I'm going to step into his shoes now. 
and uh, and I could something was like catching my eye, and I couldn't work out what it was. And then there was a zoom in close up on him, and in his last ever big country gig, he was wearing a Mike Peters T-shirt with a Mike Peters logo right there in, his, in the center of his chest. I thought this is getting weirder by the minute. But it, it was a great experience. I was really glad I was able to sing for Big Country, help yeah. him reconnect his music because uh, the, the tragedy of his passing left a big shadow over the music. And I don't think people could take the records out of their sleeves without thinking about that. And it was maybe taking away something. And, and Stuart was much more than that one crazy day. And oh, I, uh, I think, you know, playing, it meant Big Country fans could go to a gig again. They could sing, stay alive, you know, live in the moment <laughs> again. And it was, it was fantastic. And, and I, I really helped, you know, I was really proud of helping them get on with it. And we were, they want me to keep going and going. I said, look, guys, I'm in the alarm. You know, you've got to find someone else. <laughs> and we, we did a gig a couple of years ago just before the pandemic, and it was fantastic. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll do some more again in the future because we've got a good close-knit uh, bond between us. You know, I, I, I know you've probably heard this before, and, and probably because it's it's true. I mean, it's, it's not always easy to embrace things like joy and optimism and, and, and gratitude during you know, tough times and in your life and, and it doesn't come naturally to some people, but it seems like something that drives you in a very honest and, and, and selfless way. And, and then to watch you persevere with grace and tenacity really is inspiring to a lot of people. And I think when fans get a chance to hear the, the new alarm album, they're going to be blown away by it because it's, it's oh. really powerful. And I, and I, and I appreciate the fact that you, you, that you did it. <laughs> I appreciate oh, the fact you. that it's out. Oh, that's great. No, because it was a, it was a tough challenge at, but I didn't want it to be a record that it wasn't about where I'd been. I wanted to make this a record about where I was going. I wanted, I was, I knew I was going to get back to life, and I and I knew, and I wanted that feeling to come across in the record and the songs. And you know, I could have written a very different record uh, a few weeks earlier when I thought uh, there's maybe not a way out of this. But then uh, once I realised that the, the, there was an opportunity for me to get on a new drug regime that had only just come out. You know, I like it. My life in cancer has been like one massive Donkey Kong game. You know, <laughs> you get to the end of a plank, you think, oh, no, I'm going down. And then, oh, just make it to the next level and keep going. So, you know, because I've been living with the cancer now since 1995, and I've been the beneficiary of amazing advances in science. And, uh, you know, and I've got plenty of people that I've had treatment with who were never so lucky. They didn't make it to that following week. And, and if they'd hung on one more week, they might have got to the treatments I get got to, you know. So I've been, I was very lucky. And there was one drug I was able to sustain on for eight years when most people can tolerate it for two. Yeah. So somebody's smiling down on me from somewhere. So I've got to be grateful for all that. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to you adding some new dates to the U.S. and very much looking forward to the album coming out. Mike, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. And, and oh, Mike, thank you. Thank you for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate Absol it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Mike. Best of luck. Brilliant. Take care. Take care. See you again. The name of the new album from The Alarm is Forward, and it's scheduled to be out on June 2nd. And to find out more about its foundation, you can go to lovehopestrength.org. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You can reach me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.